Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. What I wanted to begin this morning with the Advent candles, as you can probably see up here, if you haven't been able to, just when you leave, you can look at them, but there are five candles, and then it's in the midst of uh, a wreath. The wreath represents God's eternal glory, His everlasting love. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. There are five candles in the middle of this, each one representing a different thing, and today we're actually focusing on hope. How fitting to be at Mount Hope Church today. And I wanted to read briefly from Romans chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. It says, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. Of course, you know who the Gentiles are, right? You and me. People that are not Jewish. He goes on to say, May the peace, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today is all about hope. And with that, I just want to light this candle representing hope. And there are three purple, a pink, and then a white candle. The three purple represent hope, love. The pink represents joy. And the final one is peace. And then the white candle, who does that represent? Jesus. Jesus. And on Christmas Day, we will light that final candle. So today, we're going to light the first purple candle representing the first week of Advent. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It'll make more sense as we move ahead here today. I do have an Advent message. I do have, or we're going to be in the midst of an Advent series. And I've never done this before, so this is new to me. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. When I started to think about what I was going to preach on, I, I, I'm always looking for articles and things like that, that uh, I have to be built up before I can help build you up, right? And God has to pour into me first. So as I was searching, I found this, this man's sermon, and it was called Clocks, Glocks, in the Christian Crosswalk. You know what a Glock is, right? A gun. Okay, you're with me. Good. So this was written by Ernie Arnold originally. I have, of course, uh, made it to apply here today. But I hope you enjoy this message as, as we begin the beauty of Advent series. Again, this will conclude on Christmas Day. Everything about the church centers around the reason for this season. Amen? It's the time of year when we focus on the incarnation of Jesus Christ, but also on His second coming. As important as, and as awesome as it was that Jesus was born, the fact that he's going to come back for us, I think, is even more exciting. The word Advent actually means to come to or arrival. How many are waiting for his arrival? Amen. Hallelujah. And, and actually, that's what this message is going to focus on today, is being ready for his arrival. Why would the God of the universe think so highly of us lowly creatures and what, what does it mean to be loved by Him in such a way? Think about it. He sent His own Son to die for you and for me. How amazing is that? I hope you'll be blessed as we consider just how huge God's love is for you and for me. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know that Jesus is fully God? what the Bible tells us. Yes, he was man, but he was also fully God. And here's the thing, he had to get messy when he came to this earth. Have you ever been messy? Anybody? You might be looking at me this morning going, well, you look kind of messy. Hey, I shaved. I even brushed my teeth for you. The rest of me, well, <laughs> we won't go there. I'm kind of messy, aren't I? People that work Get messy. Jesus came to this earth and he got messy. And I, I was thinking about 
probably the messiest situation that I've ever seen. And, and it just happened to focus around my lovely wife, Barb. I love you, honey. As soon as I say the three letters, you're going to go, oh yeah, VBS. We had a VBS contest. And the boys and the girls pitted each other against one another. And whoever raised the most money, the boys or the girls, the other leaders, whether the men or the women, would have to go through a messy situation. Well, as we got to the final day, and we started counting up all the money the boys had raised and all the money that the girls had raised, the boys won. I went, it eliminated me having to become messy. So what was the messy? We put her in a tub. She and the the other, one of our lady uh, leaders, we put them in this little kiddie pool. And we dumped about 200 pounds of wet spaghetti noodles over their heads oh that wasn't enough Uh uh-uh and then we proceeded to pour about two gallons of spaghetti sauce that was lukewarm all over their heads you can only imagine they're both looking at us going what did we commit to and i felt so sorry for her sort of because i knew if it hadn't been her it would have been me And I was grateful that the boys just happened to have a little extra money put in there. (laughs) What? You don't think I had anything to do with it, do you? (laughs) You know, it was funny because she smelled like SpaghettiOs for about three weeks. And that might be why we still to this day don't hardly ever have spaghetti at my house. Unless Andy and Sarah make it. Anyway, I love my voice. She's awesome. How messy did Jesus have to get? Think about it. He left the splendor of heaven to come to earth. He was carried in the womb of a teenage virgin for nine months. Then he was born amongst a whole bunch of livestock in some outdoor enclosure. Dr. B, how many people do you know that were born outside? Probably not too many, do you? He was then raised in a home of common people. And here's the thing. God loves the common people. I'm not saying He doesn't love the wealthy, but He loves us common folk. That's where He chose to live while He was here on earth. Living with, of course, a carpenter and his wife. God didn't mind getting messy. God reduced Himself to our level so that He could become a part of our lives. To be a part of your life. Amen? And today, He still wants to have that special relationship with each one of us. Do you know God is big enough to have a relationship with each one of us individually? Don't you know? So we presently live between two advents. The first is the incarnation of Christ. That's in our rearview mirror. The second is the second coming of Christ, and that's somewhere up ahead. We haven't gotten there yet. But I'll tell you what, I'm ready. The sad part is there are many that aren't. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Some believe that day is really close. I'm one of them. While others argue, oh, it's got to be way off yet. Either way, Jesus is coming back. But he hasn't come back yet, has he? To help on our quest for truth this morning, we need to ask some important questions. Like, what does the Bible tell us about how we should live during these two Advents? There are things more important to God than there are to others. Do you know that? You know what they are? We're going to talk about that. How does the church work through this period of time what are we supposed to do what are we supposed to look like in these last days listen the church gets a bad rap how many have ever talked to somebody that says i'll never step foot in a church again why because we're not doing what we've been called to do 
We're building these palaces for us, not for Him. And we need to be cautious, folks, on how we do church. I told you a while back, God had spoken something into my spirit. This was recent. And it really shipwrecked my faith. It made me stop and think, what are you doing at Mount Hope? What is your purpose? And you're going to hear this week after week after week, what that purpose is. Today's no exception. To help answer these questions, I have three points that I want to present to you. I hope that you'll grab hold of each one. Each point is also connected to a passage of Scripture, and each passage represents three different ways that people live their lives. Their lifestyle, if you will, today. Two of the lifestyles come with a warning, but the, the third one comes with the blessing. I don't know about you, but I like the blessing. So listen closely as we begin this series, and I want to begin with a word of prayer. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me one more time. Lord, we love you, and we know that were it not for you, we wouldn't be here today. In fact, we would be a hopeless bunch but on this first week of Advent, we celebrate the hope that we have in you. The hope in our own salvation and the hope for the world, Lord. This world's a mess, but you came to change that. And we grab hold of that hope today, that hope in Jesus. We grab hold of the hope of heaven and the future that we have through Jesus. And Lord, I pray today you'd give us Hearts that are soft, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying to the church today. We love you, Lord, and we commit this body of believers into your hands. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. The next slide says we are not to live as calendar and clock watchers. We are not to live as calendar and clock watchers. Now, before Matthew became a disciple of Jesus, he worked as a numbers guy. How many know what he was? He was a tax collector, which is similar to what? The IRS. Where do you think they got that from? <laughs> anyway, Pastor Norm's poor sense of humor. That all bears out in his gospel, the fact that he was a detailed person. If you've ever spoken with a numbers guy, an accountant, a CPA, those people will drive you crazy when you ask them a question because they can't just tell you what you need to know. they got to tell you the whole thing in between, right? Anybody know numbers people? Where's Julie? <laughs> yeah, right there. God bless Julie. <laughs> we, we, we are so thankful that you are a detailed person. And now she won't ever dare to answer any of our questions again. I wasn't really sending that your way. It was somebody else I was thinking of. But if the shoe fits, wear it. <clears throat> Matthew was such a detailed person. And when we, you go back, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. He helps us to see or even to feel what it was like to sit under the feet of Jesus on that hill with thousands of others, listening to the Master pour into us how we should live for Jesus. Hallelujah. He knew what he was doing. And, and, he, and he paints such a beautiful picture. And then a little bit later in chapter 24, Matthew shares some specific events that are going to come. And he gives us some details that if you read it really quick, you might miss some very important things. And it's not just Matthew 24, but I'm focusing there today but Matthew 25 is also referring to the Lord's coming, His arrival, when He comes back for you and me. So if you get a chance, read chapters 24 and 25 in Matthew. But today we're going to focus on verse 36 and following. Matthew 24, 36 in the NLT starts with, However, Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Now, how many of you have heard somebody say, hey, Jesus, come back February 6th, 17th, 2017. I'm just making that up. But we've heard that before. There have been a lot of people that have tried to prophesy when the Lord was coming back. 
And amazingly, we're still here. So what's that tell us? They were false prophets. That's what it tells us. Jesus said, even the Son doesn't know the exact timing. Only the Father. But when the Father says go, they're going. They're coming back to get us. Hallelujah. That's good news. Verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time of Noah when he entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen. Did you hear that? They didn't realize. How could they not realize? This guy's building this huge boat out in the middle of the, the desert. How could they not see that something was coming other than the fact that they thought he was a looney tune? And Christians get that rap today too. Yeah, you're a bunch of loonies, a bunch of crazies. Don't tell me that Jesus stuff. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. It was too late by the time the floods came. It was too late. And that's the way it will be when the Son of Man returns. The reality is, there's a world out there that's dying and going to hell. You and I, we've got the answer. We know who to put our trust in. Who to put our hope in. They don't. And it's the duty of the church to get after those people. Verse 40, two men will be working in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. I, I really believe this is telling us about the rapture. Those who are prepared and those who are not prepared. Verse 42, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. You might be thinking that he's telling us to always be ready for that trumpet to be blown so that we can go to heaven. And though I believe there is a portion of this that is referring to that, I believe there's so much more here that we have to grab hold of. And I'm going to explain that in the next couple of minutes. According to Matthew, one thing was certain. Jesus didn't want His church's only focal point to be His coming back. He did not want us to be clock watchers or calendar watchers. Have you ever met a Christian that was so heavenly minded they became no earthly good? I've met a lot of them. They have their eyes set on one thing, and that is his return. Well, what about the people that are still here? That have not yet committed to Jesus as Lord. What are we doing with them? And that's the warning that Jesus gave us here. Only the Father knows the exact time when the age of the Gentiles will end. And listen, when the age of the Gentiles ends, that means salvation for the, the non-Jewish people is going to come to a close. That's when God's going to focus on the Jewish people. And they're going to come to Christ in droves during that period of time. What is the church's mission? What did God expect us to carry out? Were we to protect ourselves against burglars? Is that what you and I are supposed to do? Hey, brother, bro brother, i got to get home, man, just in case a burglar is going to come in my house today. I'm looking at Mike just because I know he can, he can relate to this. No, wouldn't that be silly? Hey, i got to leave church early, man. That, that preacher, he goes on until 12, 1230, man. i, I got to get home at 11, 1130 because... What if a burglar shows up? I mean, it's silly, right? Yet, if we miss what Jesus is saying here, we can take this all wrong and we can come at it like, oh, he wants me to be ready. Well, I hope you're already ready. How, how many days you got to spend getting ready? Are you blood-bought? Are you born again? Then you're ready. So there's more to this. 
than what meets the eye. Our business should be to preach the gospel and make disciples. We should be busy doing the Father's business. That means we're going to get dirty. We're going to get messy. We're going to have people call us names. The timing of Jesus' return isn't important. Only the end result. And what is that end result? To see as many brought into the kingdom of God as you and I can reach. As the church, capital C, can reach. Amen? Would the ushers hand us out? little piece of corn right here. Farmer Norm. I even wore my grungy boots. Because I want you to know that when you're working, you get dirty. Pass them out. Just take one, just as a reminder of this message today. And what I'm trying to impart into your life that the Holy Spirit already imparted into mine. See, I had to stop and think. I get this little, this little piece of corn in my hand. And I think, oh, won't that taste good? How many like corn on the cob? Popcorn. I had some last night. Well, you can't have that stuff until you what? Really? Pop it? Really? You got to plant the corn into the soil first. And you got to grow the crops that come from it. But if I take this corn and I, I sit there and I look at it, oh, oh, that looks, you know, I'm going to protect this. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, no, the birds aren't getting my corn. Uh-uh. I'm protecting it. You know, that dry condition all through summer, no. Bugs, uh-uh. I got it right here, man. See, it's right there. I'm Farmer Norm, and I love corn, and I can't wait till the day that I get to eat corn on the cob and popcorn and corn fricassee, whatever that is. Corn dogs. I'm not a corn dog lover, but if you are, God bless you. What's wrong with Farmer Norm's idea? got to plant it first if all you do is look at it go oh isn't that wonderful i can be thinking about the corn and the harvest but it ain't coming until i do something with it i gotta get dirty i gotta prepare that soil i gotta plant that little seed in there and if i do the next slide shows you the I get me a harvest. Woohoo! I want you to think of yourself as corny. Look at your neighbor and say, You're corny. Come on. Nobody in here is, probably nobody in here is as corny as I am, but yeah, come on. This piece of corn represents your investment in the kingdom. God invested in you first. He gave you everything He had. And why did He do that? So that you would bear fruit. You are to God like this piece of corn. And He likes to farm us. I know this sounds weird, but it's true. He likes us to bear fruit, which means that we have to bring others like ourselves into the kingdom. Just like this one little kernel can end up looking like that big corn stalk up there. The same thing is supposed to happen with you and me. But if we only look at it and go, oh, oh, it's so pretty. If we don't take that next step, there's going to be no harvest and we're going to just get stuck 
with a piece of corn. God wants to take this corny bunch of people in this room and use us to bring Him glory and praise and honor. But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll miss this very important point. Now, in last week's sermon, I talked about the most important thing to the kingdom of God. What did I say was the only thing that we're taking with us to heaven? Souls, others, right? The Bible teaches that we are His treasures. You and I are His treasure. There's nothing else on this world, on this planet, more valuable. The stars aren't more valuable. We are His treasure. And when you get that in your head and in your heart, you'll realize, look, I don't care how bad I feel, God loves me. I don't care how low I get, God loves me. And if the King of the universe loves you, what more could you ask for? Hallelujah. That's good news. That's why Jesus came. He might have been wearing bib overhauls had he come as a full-grown man. Because he was a common person, just like you and me. He wanted us to know that he was just like us. But Jesus told us, stop paying attention to when I'm coming back. Start focusing on what you're supposed to do until I come back. Advent is a time to reflect on whether you'll have anything to show for your 20, 40, 60, or 80 years. Maybe 100 for some of you. You could, you could live that long. Gene, you could be a centurion someday. Carol? Woo! I didn't hear him say amen right away. They're, like, they're, they're really having to digest that one. All right. I was like, do I want to be here that long? <laughs> Hallelujah. You will, you will bear fruit if you stand task and if you focus on His mission. That is to tell people about Jesus and make disciples. Your mission, should you accept it, is to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, it would have been cool if I could have had that all of a sudden go poof and smoke and disappear, but. Your mission, should you accept it, is to fulfill the Great Commission, just as Jesus said go and make disciples in the name, in my name, in the name of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What's our purpose? What's our mission? To make disciples. I want you to know as the pastor of this church, it is my prayer that we're found doing just this when Jesus returns, when those trumpets blow. So the first point today is don't be a clock watcher. That leads to my second point, which is Jesus doesn't want us to focus on glocks and locks to provide our safety. Now, don't throw me under the bus just yet, all you guys that are armed. I believe in the Second Amendment, all right? And I lock my doors. Just saying. So what am I talking about? What I'm saying is, we can be so busy preparing for disaster that we forget that Jesus came to bring us hope. According to Jesus' teachings, as I understand them, he said worrying isn't something we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be worrying about what we're going to eat tomorrow, where we're going to live tonight. We shouldn't be, these things should be low priority. Those who are living righteously will be safe and secure. If you're born again and you know it, if you're not living a life, a sinful lifestyle, you should be safe and secure no matter where you're at. You could be in the middle of Afghanistan. You could be in the middle of Detroit or L.A. It wouldn't matter as long as Jesus is your Lord and Savior. 
I told you this a week or so ago. I told the story about Spring Impact for our college days. And I went from Springfield, Missouri, all the way to Los Angeles, landed in LAX, and then we went right into the urban center of Los Angeles. Hell's Gate, Watts. Woo! Did I ever get an indoctrination? But I was praying. I said this last week, I was one of the few white folk. There were all kinds of Hispanics and all kinds of African Americans. There weren't hardly any white folk except me. So I stuck out like a sore thumb, right? Was I worried? Well, a little bit because there were bullet holes in the sides of every wall I went by. You know, I remember calling, we didn't have cell phones, and I remember calling Barb, and I, I'm talking to her on the phone outside this supermarket, the only place the church didn't have a phone. So I call her, and I'm talking, and I'm looking, and all of a sudden I said, honey, I got to go, because I kept hearing this pop, 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 pop behind me. Those were AR-15s going off, and along the wall that I was looking at were bullet holes. And I said, honey, I got to go. Just be praying for me. Well, I'll tell you what, I had more intercessors after that phone call. I didn't mean to do that to you, but it must have been a God thing. I had a peace. I was there to reach the lost. And God was using me. Because they figured any, anybody stupid enough to come into their neighborhood either had to be a complete nutcase or they really had to have the power of God. And I believe it was the latter because he used us that week. Hundreds came to the Lord through the ministry that we provided that week. Hundreds. Gangbangers from the Bloods and the Crips. There was one church where they were on both sides. You know what our fear was? They were going to start shooting at each other. Thank God it didn't happen. The Holy Spirit showed up and He kept it calm. Hundreds came to the Lord. Listen, people want the truth. People want to know. Oops. I can't pick them up. What you corny people are really like. They want you to plant yourself in their lives and begin to show them what they need. But in order to do it, you got to get messy. You got to be willing to roll your sleeves up and get dirty. Hallelujah. All right, back to this message. For some of you this morning, this next passage that we read from Isaiah chapter 2, it'll bring you comfort. For others, you might think it sounds like a fairy tale. And for you, well, you keep on preparing for disaster because you're going to need it, it's coming. In these five verses I want to share, the prophet Isaiah was looking forward to a time that followed the Lord's second coming. Now you know that he's coming back. He's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And you know who's going to be right there with him governing all this? You and me. People that have put their trust in him and said yes to Jesus. There's a time coming when his kingdom will be established on the earth as it is in heaven. During this time to come, there will be no need for glocks or any kind of weapons. In fact, the prophet shows us where the world is going to become weaponless. In fact, they're going to take the weapons and turn them into farm implements. How many would say hallelujah to that? Too many are getting killed with them today. Too many. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. This is the vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, when? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. Hallelujah. I'm ready for that. I think it's kind of like that on Sunday mornings. You know, we all stream into the same place to worship the Lord. But it ain't nothing compared to what Jesus is going to set up when He comes back. Verse 3. 
People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There He will teach us His ways. He will walk in His paths. We will walk in His paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. Verse 4. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. There's going to be peace, folks. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. No, excuse me, nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Now that's some good news. In the last verse, verse 5, Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Hmm. Hallelujah. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus sets His kingdom up on this earth. And we're going to be right there governing, governing with Him. Some of us will be mayors, governors. I don't know all the different titles, but I do know that we're going to be with Him. Advent is a time when we reflect on how much we really trust Him. How much we trust in His provision. How much we trust in His protection. Or do we trust more in the barrel of a gun the real question becomes, what kind of world are we trying to build? And this really hit me. What kind of world is the church, capital C, trying to build today? People live in that mess. The guns, the, the knives, the, the drugs, all the stuff that's out there. They live in that every day. When they come out of that, when they come into the church, it should be different. They should experience hope and love and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Amen? So what kind of world are we trying to build? Are we a world dedicated to building a community of believers or one full of locks designed to keep people out? You see, if we're not careful, we'll see Isaiah 2, 1-5 as some kind of fairy tale rather than what it really is, and that is that the Lord, through Isaiah, is challenging the church to step up and to usher in His kingdom. That's the challenge that's presented to us today. God intends on His kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, and you and me, the church, are here to prepare for that coming. Read that passage again. It's not God who destroys the weapons. It's not God who snaps His fingers and supernaturally changes everything into peace and safety and la 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 la. It's the people of God doing it. Turning their weapons into instruments that farmers might use to prepare a field. To grow wheat and corn and things like that. It's not God who creates a world more interested in harvesting wheat and corn than it is in putting holes in each other or putting one more lock on their door. It's the people of God who do this. They are the ones, if you put that next slide up, they are the ones that take up the challenge to usher in His kingdom on earth. You and me. Are you with me? Who builds the kingdom? We do. What does it cost to see this happen? Here it is. We have to surrender to Him. Total surrender. You see, if you hold anything back, then God can't pour Himself into you. If you're hanging on to sin in your life, sin, darkness, cannot cohabit with light, God's goodness. That's why God said, be holy for I am holy. He said that over and over. We need to be a people who are holy. And then He can pour His all into us. Amen, David? Amen. We must believe less in the power of our spears and swords, or guns and knives, more in the strength of our Lord God Almighty. That is a fact. So, 
Is the answer to get rid of all the guns? Did I say that? No. Is the answer to take away our Second Amendment rights? No. As I've said, I believe in all that. But I also believe in living a productive and fruitful Christian life. And that's where our focus should be because that's what's most important to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The world doesn't need more guns. The world needs the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the cross, or as the author calls it here in this sermon, it is the cross walk that I'd like to share with you next. Number three, Jesus does want us to focus on the cross and the cross walking. Now, we've already, that next slide, we've already talked about don't focus on the clock. Right? When Jesus is coming back, don't worry about that. Just be busy doing what you're called to do. Number two, don't spend all your time building a fortress. Trust in Jesus instead. He's got it all under control anyway. The last point, the one that is so important, we've had two don'ts, now the do. Do focus. The last one is do get caught up in focusing on the cross and your cross walk. Isaiah 2, 1-5 through challenges us to focus on bringing people to the Lord or to the ways of the Lord. Matthew 24, 36-44 challenges us to focus on living out our life of faith right here in the here and now. And then the Apostle Paul shows us in Romans 13, verses 11-14, through 14, what it means to crosswalk. So I'm going to... He's already got it up. Good for you. This is all the more urgent, he said, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Think about this. He said this 2,000 years ago. So how much closer are we to time running out? And then he says, wake up! Listen, the church has been slumbering for way too long. It is time for us to wake up. To realize our place and what we're here for. We're here to be those little pieces of corn. To be corny around people. To bring them to Jesus. To help them come to the cross just as you and I did. And to begin their own crosswalk. The apostle goes on in verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. So here he's telling us, stop sinning. Who are you going to help if you keep on sinning? Nobody. Put on that righteous garment that Jesus gave you to put on. Your blood bought, put it on. And then begin walking out that walk. Verse 13, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Did you hear that? Because we belong to the day, the day of salvation, we must live decent lives for all to see. Why do they need to see it? Hello? You're corny. You're going to help them become like you. That's what God wants to do with us. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. It all goes back to that relationship with Him. That's what He wants. You are the most important treasure to God and He wants a relationship with you. I don't care who you are in this room today. You may say, well, brother, I'm one of those sinners. Well, you don't have to be anymore. All you got to do is repent, which means to turn from your wicked ways and say, Jesus, forgive me and help me to become a new person. And trust me, He will meet you right where you're at. Hallelujah. To crosswalk, Paul preaches that we must get rid of our old sinful, filthy clothes and be clothed with the armor of God's righteousness. You might think, well, that was easy for the apostles to live like that. They walked with Jesus. They didn't have all the temptations of modern day 
They didn't have all the hatred from Christians for Christians like we have today. I'd agree in part that they didn't have the internet. That could be a good tool and a bad one. A lot of filthy junks on that thing. Television, same thing. They didn't have the drugs available like we have today. I admit that. There's a lot of temptations out there. They, they didn't have the alcohol in the numerous... You couldn't walk into any corner store and buy you a fifth of Jack. But they had alcohol, trust me. They had orgies. They did all kinds of unspeakable things back then. And they hated the Christians. Because the Christians represented the light. Just like we do today. Their lives were always being threatened by the government as well as by their religious leaders of that day. I like how this quote from Pastor Arnold, and he said, Paul was beaten, whipped with rods, stoned, and imprisoned. Historians tell us that the bones in his hands, his ribs, and the bones in his feet had been broken multiple times. He must have walked humped over with a noticeable limp. Paul knew what it meant to live the life of a hunted man. He knew what it meant to be labeled a criminal, both by the state and by the Sanhedrin council. End of quote. You think Paul wasn't beat up? He was in prison for years. He was a hated man. But, and this is a side that we've got to see, despite all of that, Paul didn't try to hide away behind locked doors. He didn't spend most of his time waiting for Jesus to come back. Instead, he challenged the early church to get rid of their darkness and to put on the armor of light. That challenge still holds for us today. His words are a challenge to the modern day church to focus on the crosswalk, the cross of Christ as we walk it out. Even Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for, for my sake, you will save it. So the more you give away, the more God is going to put into you. The more you try to hang on to what you have, the less you're going to end up having in the end. Hallelujah. The world where Paul lived was dangerous, decadent, and depraved. There's a slide for that. It was a world given over to sensuality, immorality, and drunkenness. The places of the, that the apostle traveled in order to share the good news of Jesus were filled with people that were best described in this next list found in Galatians 5.19 and following. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other things like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the kind of world that Paul lived in, that Peter lived in, that John lived in. Immorality ran rampant through the Roman Empire during their day. And that put a lot of pressure on the Christians and how they lived, just as it does today. I see that things are almost identical to where they were back in the days of the Romans. Think about that. Don't we see all this happening now? The government trying to take away our rights? Don't you see the people living around us throwing stones at us daily? Oh, you, you sick Christian people, you. You're just brainwashed. You don't know anything about what it really means to live. I've heard it all. Jesus told us, do focus on the cross. On the cross walk. Paul didn't get distracted by the allure of sin. In fact, he fought it daily. 
Paul didn't pull back on the gospel message that he preached just because it offended somebody in his generation. He felt their souls were too valuable to water down the message that God had put in him to deliver to those people. And are we any different? There are people that are dying and going to hell, and we are sitting here on our thumbs, quietly reminiscing about our safety and our future in Him. When is He coming back for me? When? I'm sure God would like to give us a good slap sometimes and say, would you stop being so selfish and get off of your keisters and get out there and tell them what I've done in your life? Because they're going to go to hell unless they hear. And how are they going to hear unless somebody comes to tell them? You with me? Thank you, Jesus. A quote from John Wesley during the 1800s, a minister who loved God and actually started the Methodist church. He made this assertion, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen, they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now if he could do that in the 1800s, why would there be any difference in this day today? If a hundred of us purposed in our hearts to get out there and start telling people about what we know about God, we could change the very nature of our society, of our culture, of our nation, and even of the world. You see, we are being challenged to be more than a people who believe in glocks and locks. Jesus is challenging us in these last days to focus on His cross and to focus on living a crosswalk lifestyle. He's looking for men and women who are willing to live a life totally and completely surrendered to Him. If the church gets this in their spirit, I believe this with all my heart, if we become more dedicated to seeing the kingdom of God come than our own little kingdoms developed, I believe we are going to see a major revival in these last days. But it's going to take you and me to do it. God's looking for a faithful people who are willing to step it up and to say, pick me, pick me. Remember gym class? Didn't you hate it when you were the last one to be called? Pick me, pick me. But you know what? In God's kingdom, He picks whoever's available. Because He knows it isn't you doing it. It's Him. He just needs the willing vessel that's surrendered to Him. And that's what it takes in these last days to God be the glory. What is a crosswalk as I begin to close? It's a well-marked path where people can safely walk across the street without, hopefully without getting hurt. The same is true about life's crosswalk. The Bible helps define the life God expects us to live as you and I learn to carry our own cross. A life that will get us to the other side safely, I hope. Realize, though, that each one of us are different. You know that, right? Look at your neighbor and say, you are different. Now say, you might be corny, but you're different. Thankfully, God created all of us individually. We all have a part of God in us, but we look different, we act different, how you, your, your sense of humor is, is different. I mean, there are so many things we could say is different. That's how God created us, because He's an awesome God. Understand this too, that the cross that you must carry will be different from the cross that I'm asked to carry. We don't carry the same cross, and here's a real hang-up in church. Well, brother, brother, you need to carry the same cross as I'm carrying. Come on, man. Come on, Tim, come on. You need to cross. Yeah, come on. Get my. No, he's got his own cross. It's going to be different than my cross. Where God has put you is different than where God has put me. You just need to be faithful where you're at. 
That's the bottom line. Here's the interesting thing. Both your cross and my cross lead to the same place, to Jesus, to heaven, to eternal life. (laughs) That's good news. Our mission is to let our life become a crosswalk for others to follow. Did you hear that? Our mission is to let our life become a crosswalk for others to follow. Our assignment is to use our energy and resources that God has given us to win souls for His kingdom and to help lead them into a life of spiritual maturity. That's what happens just before your harvest comes to pass where you can go pick the crop. That's what God's waiting for, for His church to get out there and prepare for His return. It isn't isn't getting us ready, it's getting everybody else ready. We're already ready. Now we got to get the rest of them. (laughs) He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. That's because they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. So during this Advent season, may you take the time to reflect on your crosswalk, your life, and make sure you are actually living the life that Jesus expects you to live. Be disciples. Be disciple makers. That is your mission should you choose to accept it. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Lord, we are so indebted to you for what you've done in our lives. The preparations that you've made and your willingness to come and get messy on this planet so that we might have life and life in abundance. We could have been stuck in our sins for eternity, but instead you came You took our place on that cross. You took the judgment that we deserved upon yourself. And our sins are now farther than the east is from the west as far as you're concerned. When we say yes to Jesus, when we invite him to come into our lives, when we repent of our sins, you do all of that for us. And then you invite us to become a partner with you in this harvest The Bible says the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And today, Lord, we call upon the blessed name of Jesus and we say, Lord, release the the laborers into the harvest. Lord, speak to every man and woman, every young person in this room, Lord, and help us to recognize what it is you want us to do. To be corny for this generation. To become someone who invests in them, who loves them enough and gets messy with them so that we can eventually bring them to Jesus. They need us. They need the light that's in us. And God, I pray that we would be faithful in carrying out your perfect will on this planet as it is in heaven. Let it be on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. I want you to meditate on this over this next week, this first week of Advent. Where's your hope? Is it in your own devices or is it truly in Jesus? And if it is, then I want you to start to think, where where do these other people go for their hope? Is there somebody that needs this hope that I have? I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me who I can minister to, who I can plant or invest into to to get messy with them if need be, but Lord, to help them come to Christ as I have come to Christ. I want you to do that this week. Will you do that? And I just want to conclude with this. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'll be standing up here at the end. Just come on up and talk to me, and I'd love to introduce them to you. Don't take for granted, though, what you have, Christian. Don't take for granted. There's a purpose for us to be here.
there's a reason Jesus hasn't come back yet. It's not because he's slow. It's because he's waiting until all these people come to him, come to Christ. So let's use every resource, every talent we have, and invest in these people and those that are lost and dying. May they know that the church loves them. May they know this is a safe place for them where they can learn about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, we thank you again for everything you're doing in this body. And as we go out of here this week, Lord, just remind us of this message. Let it go deep within our spirits, Lord, and I pray that that we would constantly be thinking about what's next. Not when you're coming back so much as how can we reach those before you do? the lost one next door, the one in the store, the one in my school, Lord. Just help me to be effective for your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that I'd be willing to get messy and dirty for you, to be corny if need be. But Lord, I pray that I would be able to lead somebody to Jesus within the next few weeks. In your precious name, I pray. Now keep us safe as we come and go. Bless the snacks afterwards. We commit this body, Lord, this church, the people of Mount Hope, into your hands. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.